9, 6 through 12. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, and not only so but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. The word of God. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we pray that your spirit will enlighten our hearts and minds as we dig into a important passage of your word. I know they're all important, but these help us to understand more about you, you and, and who you are and, and how you act and, and how you choose your people. Father, it is my prayer this morning that you will give me direction and guidance as I speak words, that they may be yours, and that your Holy Spirit may guide my tongue, and may everything that I say glorify you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. We are obviously continuing in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans this morning. Romans 9 is an amazing book in my mind. Because it demonstrates so much to us about just how God is involved in salvation. It gives us a behind-the-curtain look uh, at God and, and what His role in salvation is. Romans 9 has probably done more to shape my theology than any single chapter in the entire Bible. Because it is so illuminating on who God is and how He deals with salvation. We get to see God's sovereignty in salvation put on display like probably no other chapter in the entire Bible. And I want you to know that Paul didn't write... And, and, and the things we see in Romans 9, they're deep things. They're not things that are easy for us to comprehend and understand. They're not shallow or, or superficial. They are the deep things of God. And I want you to know that Paul didn't write the th deep things of God merely so we can just sit around and debate them or think they're, they're fun to discuss or talk about. He wrote to us these deep things of God so that we could live them. That's why we have it. I mean, today, like no other, there are people, I don't want anything to do with doctrine. Well, we should, because in order for us to live like God wants us to live, we have to know doctrine, and Romans 9 is full of it. And so whenever we have doctrine, it's very important that we live it. Too often the time are, are the times that we know things about God, but our lives don't reflect it. 
We live our lives as if we don't know anything about God. We live our lives as if we're of the world. And it's a very unfortunate situation to be in. Because when that's the case, what are we? Starts with an H. We're hypocrites. And we have to fight that. I find myself there as well. It's a constant battle. I want to be consistent with what I say and what I do, what I believe and what I do. That's my number one objective is consistency. And yet I see all around the world and society that there's inconsistency everywhere. Turn on the news and watch politics. And you want to see hypocrisy at its best. It's okay for one side to do it, but if this side does it, it's a bad thing. It all depends on who's my guy, right? It's hypocrisy. When we believe something, we need to be consistent in it. Whenever the Word of God says that, then we're going to live that in the good times and in the bad times when it comes from somebody we like or when it comes from somebody we don't like. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. We should always be consistent in our lives and how we live our lives based on what our theology and what our belief system is in our minds. And so the doctrines that we have and the doctrines that we study and the doctrines that we see here in Romans 9 should serve as a foundation and basis for our lives every day. They should be the very way we live our lives. Not in the difficult times only, but in the good times as well. As we turn now to the passage before us, Paul is faced with a problem. A very difficult problem in the way that he sees it. Now he had just told us in Romans 8, that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus, that no one can bring a charge against God's elect. So then we transfer or move into Romans 9, and he starts talking about the Jews. He starts talking about these Old Testament promises. So what's the problem that Paul has? The problem that Paul has is if we are promised these things in Romans 8, how can we know that these things in Romans 8 are going to be true and happen? How can we know that no one's going to bring a charge against God's elect? If we go to Romans 9 and the promises from the Old Testament to the Jews aren't necessarily true. That's a problem. Paul sees it as a problem. He's like, if God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands in the sea, and that's not the case, then how can I trust the promise of Romans 8 that there is no one that can bring a charge against God's elect? Because if I can't trust God with one thing, I can't trust him with anything. And so Paul sees this big issue, this problem that he has. And so that's where he's at. He's going to start dealing with this perceived problem with the 
ethnic Jews of the Old Testament. And he's going to do it with two different references in the Old Testament. We're going to look at one this week, and we're going to look at one next week. This week, we're going to see the problem between Isaac and Ishmael. And we're going to see how that actually makes any sense whatsoever whenever we get to the problem that Paul is trying to solve. Next week, we're going to see the difference between Jacob and Esau. And he demonstrates to us who Israel is based on these two different types of comparisons. And keep in mind, Paul began this chapter by telling us of his anguish for his brothers and sisters of the flesh, the Jews, the ethnic Jews. You remember that? That's how we started out. I have great anguish for my kinsmen, my fellow Jews. And he wished that he would be accursed and cut off for their sake. And if you recall, whenever we studied that, I say Paul wishing that he would be accursed and cut off is a backhanded way of saying that's what they are. They are accursed and cut off. He wanted to trade places with them, but he couldn't. So he begins this chapter with saying that the Jews, the ethnic Jews, are accursed and cut off from Jesus Christ. And then we spent a couple weeks where he was talking about what is, what is it then that even is a benefit of being an ethnic Jew or an Israelite? What, what are the benefits? And we discussed those in verses 4 and 5. And he wanted to make certain that there were certain benefits. So with that in mind, that sets up verse 6. So he's talked about his anguish of wanting the Jews to come to faith in Jesus, but they're not, they're cut off, they're accursed. But they have some benefits because they experienced all those things from God. And now he asks the next question in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. So those promises in the Old Testament, have they failed? Because that's what it would look like if you say God promised these people that they would be his people, and now Paul's saying they're not really because we got these weird people, us, the Gentiles, that all of a sudden have become part of the church, and we don't see many of these people that were promised it in the Old Testament, so what's the deal? Was God lying in the Old Testament? And Paul's saying, no, the word of God has not failed. Why not? Why has the word of God not failed? And so he starts giving us the reasons why. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. On its face, it looks like an oxymoron. On its face, it would be like saying, Brady's my child, but he's not my child. It's what it looks like. It would make no sense. So you ask yourself, Paul, what are you talking about? How are you getting to this point that you're trying to make? Because right now it's a little obtuse. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it will in a few moments. 
Not all of the children are Abraham, of Abraham. No, we'll start that again. And not all children, not all are children of Abraham because they're his offspring. So he's saying, they're really not children of Abraham just because they share in his DNA. So he's redefining what a child of God is or who a child of God is. That's what Paul's doing. He's given us a new definition. And then he gives us a quote, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Paul is saying that just because Abraham's DNA is running through a group of people, that doesn't mean that they are children of Abraham or children of God. And this quote comes from Genesis 21.12. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what in the world does Isaac have to do with God keeping his promises in the Old Testament and being faithful to his promises in the Old Testament? How, how does that even mesh? How does Paul get into the solution of this? So we look at verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of, the, of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So now Paul differentiates two types of Israelites, two types of children. And this is the point that he's making in defending God's promise in the Old Testament. All of those children of the flesh, they all share Abraham's DNA. That's one large group of people, the Jews from the Old Testament. However, there's another group. And that group is a subset, if you will, of the larger overall group. And it's not only a subset of that group, but it takes people from outside of that group and brings them in. Grafted in, remember, we talked about that. We're a part of this subset. So he's showing and demonstrating to us two different types of people here. Those that are of Abraham's DNA and those that are children of the promise. The subset that Paul's talking about are referred to as children of the promise. And that's an important group because that's who we are. We're children of the promise because of the grafting in that God did with us through Christ Jesus. So the true children of God aren't because of the DNA. They're because of something else. And we're going to see that illustrated in these passages. Verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Again, it's a little obtuse, a little difficult to understand, a little difficult to get Paul's point with this. It's a quotation from Genesis 18.10. So God told Abraham, in a year I'm going to come back and Sarah's going to have a son. Let's rewind that a little bit. Let's break it down a little bit. The original promise to Abraham was, I will make your descendants... As numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Remember that promise. Abraham was relatively 
an old man, no relatively about it. He was an old man at that time. Whenever he gave Abraham that promise, he was over 90 years old. And so Abraham's thought, quite logically, how in the world is this going to happen? I'm 90 plus. My wife's not far behind me and she's barren. Makes no sense at all. So what happened? The logic in their mind got the best of them. Abraham and Sarah, they hatched a plan. They hatched a scheme, a plan. We're going to help God out. Having kids at 90, 95 is a difficult thing. It makes no logical sense in our human minds, does it? They forgot that God is a God of miracles. He's a great big God that does great big miraculous things. So they took it upon themselves. We're going to sit down and we're going to hatch out this plan. Now, Sarah, I'm an old man. You're an old woman. You're barren. We've been married for 85 years and nothing's sprung from that marriage. We can't have kids. You know that. So what are we going to do? Hagar. Good plan. That's good thinking. This is how it's going to work. I mean, God put Hagar in our midst, right? So he's telling us to to do this. So Abraham, you go ahead. You sleep with Hagar. You'll have a child. That's what God's talking about. And now your numbers will be as many as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. God returns. God says, you're going to have a child, Abraham. Oh, I did! I did have a child. It's Ishmael. Look at him, Lord. It's Ishmael. He's the pride of my loins. No. No. You took it upon yourself to do what I was waiting to do. You didn't give me the faith and glory that I deserved because I'm a great big God that works great big miracles and you didn't think that I had the ability to give you a child with your wife Sarah. So in your unbelieving logical mind, you took it upon yourself to take care of it. Now look what's happened. Now you've got a child And you got all kinds of problems between Hagar and Sarah to the point that Sarah runs Hagar off with Ishmael. And ladies and gentlemen, we still see the results of that strife every day in this world. So what should have Abraham done? Lord, I know you're a great big God and you can do whatever you want. And I have faith, faith that you will provide a child to me and Sarah. It is that faith that Abraham didn't have. So when God come back and said, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. Wow. Abraham took the matter into his own hands. So who's the child of the flesh? Ishmael. 
Ishmael was the child of the flesh. And he was born out of a lack of faith in God and his ability to do miraculous things. But who was the child of the promise? Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise because he was born out of faith in God to do a miraculous thing, and that was to make a 99-year-old Abraham the father and a barren wife, Sarah, the mother of a child at such a late age. So you've got children of the flesh and children of the promise. What separates them? Faith. Faith in God and His ability to do whatever. So that's the division that Paul makes in this section with Ishmael and Isaac. So Ishmael, DNA, a child of the flesh. But he wasn't a true child of God. That belonged to Isaac. And why did it belong to Isaac? Because of faith that God was going to do and provide for them what he said he would do. You see that distinction. God's promise is true. His promise applies to those that are children of the promise, not of those who are children of the flesh. And we say, well, that only applies to the Israelites. No, I will tell you that the application for that sure applied to the Israelites, but it absolutely applies to the church, perhaps today more than ever. Because so many people come to church and all of a sudden they believe in their salvation because they are children of the flesh. You say, how is that? I go to church. I come every Sunday. I sit and listen to that big mouth, loud preacher talk for 30 minutes a Sunday. I mean, God, I deserve heaven for that after all, right? (laughs) Children of the flesh. I, I, I grew up in church, right? You ask them, Well, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? I grew up in church. Mom took me to church when I was a small child. I was baptized. I joined the church. I'm a member of the church. Those things will end up where you are a child of the flesh and not in the promise. There's too many people that rely on the things of the flesh to make your way into eternity. Because I'll tell you what. God forgiven me of my sin is way more miraculous than God speaking Isaac into existence. And he's just waiting for us to have the faith in him to be able to do that. But yet so many times we don't want to do that. We want to try to take care of it ourselves. It's easy for us to have that checklist. It's easy for us to go Sunday It's easy for us to be baptized. It's easy for us to join the church. I'm good to go now. i got no relationship with Jesus Christ whatsoever. I've got no faith at all, but I've checked all the boxes, so I've got a one-way ticket. No, you've got a one-way ticket to hell. That's the reality of it. And that's the very scary, sad part of it. Children of the promise are different than children of the flesh. Because of the faith and relationship that we have 
in Jesus Christ and with God. So it's very important that we see how Paul distinguishes that here. Salvation comes by faith. And don't think that it came cheaply. God paid an ultimate price for that in the, in the form of His Son. And we need to understand that. And we need to grasp hold of that. We should never try to do God's work for Him. Because the moment we do, whatever it is becomes fleshly. Yeah, we are His hands and feet. But we have to trust Him. And that's where Abraham and Sarah got it wrong. They didn't trust him that he would provide in the way that he promised that he would provide. And we fall in those same, same ideas and, and same actions many times. You know, a big part of children of the flesh versus children of the promise whenever it comes to salvation is how we look at ourselves. We get so caught up in taking care of things that we think we can control that kind of flows over in that. And part of it is how we see ourselves. Children of the flesh see themselves as pretty good people. That's just by nature what it is. I'm a pretty good guy. God's going to understand that and He's going to take care of it. Those are words of children of the flesh. That's how they act. So they think that because they are a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal, then they can add to it a little bit by going to church, by being baptized, by joining the church, whatever, and they're okay. But when God reaches down and penetrates our hearts and gives us the opportunity to see ourselves, it's very ugly, but it is the most beautiful blessing that we can ever receive. When we can be, as Tammy said in Sunday school this morning, when we can be honest with ourselves about really what lies in here, it is then we understand that it takes a miracle bigger than God speaking Isaac into existence to forgive me. Because it's an everyday war, battle, you name it. Because, oh, that wretched man that I am. You know, when, when Amazing Grace was written, he believed those words. God saved a wretch like me. That takes, that, that's God illuminating his holiness in our hearts where we could see that we don't have any. And if you don't see that, you're a child of the flesh. That's God's distinction. The ability to see that is the best indication that you are a child of the promise. Just like Isaac. And as we're going to see next week, just like Jacob. So hopefully we've illuminated a little bit on God's promise and how we are also part of that promise because we've been grafted in. But I encourage you this morning, don't leave here as a child of the flesh. Don't leave here as a child of flesh. Be, be, be honest with yourself. I mean, if you've been faking it, I don't care. Nobody else in here does either. But you should. Because it's that desire to be real. Not to be the hypocrite. To be real. Because one of these days, it's just you and God. There's not going to be a buffer. 
There's not going to be a husband sitting beside you. There's not going to be a wife sitting beside you pulling you along. You're going to be on your own. And it's at that moment whenever reality is going to set in. And you're going to be asked that question, are you a child of the flesh or are you a child of the promise? Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your words, your beautiful words that you give us here in Romans that we can go back and we can look at Father Abraham and we can see what he didn't do and what he did do. And Father, we just pray that you help, it, help us to apply that in our lives. Sometimes, Father, even though we may be children of the promise, sometimes we act like children of the flesh. And Father, we pray for strength to always be able to discern what is of the promise and what is of the flesh, to be able to listen to your words, to be able to trust your promises and trust them absolutely, not to rely on our own logical understanding and help us to discern when we're supposed to follow and and when we're supposed to follow our own reasoning because it can be very difficult. Father, we just asked this morning that if there's anyone out there that is a child of the flesh, that in their hearts and minds they right now make that decision to be a child of the promise, to follow you and to trust you, to have faith in you, that only then can we know that we are forgiven. And we thank you for that ultimate sacrifice that you made for each one of us the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right.